Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm Joe Haddo, and wherever you are in the world, well, it's great to have you with us. Today, I'm joined by two fabulous writers who'll be going head-to-head in a war of the words a little later on. My first guest is a writer and journalist who was born in Copenhagen, but has lived in London for many years, a graduate of the MA in Creative Writing at Birkbeck. She was previously shortlisted for the V.S. Pritchett Memorial Prize. Her debut novel, My Name is Jensen, was published in 2021, and here to tell us about her second novel, The Girl in the Photo, it's Heidi Amsink. Hello. Hello. It's lovely to see you it's and lo- have you here in the studio. Thank you. I've realised very rudely, as I sit here sipping coffee, I didn't offer you one. So no, we've got off to a great start. British hospitality. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and my second guest is one half of the Ambrose Parry writing team. She's a consultant anaesthetist with 20 years experience, whose research for her Masters in the History of Medicine uncovered the material upon which their novels are based. Ambrose Parry is a pseudonym for a collaboration between Chris Brookmeyer and Marissa Haitsman. One of them has been on Book Off before, and now it's time for the other to step up. Hello, Marissa. (laughs) Hello. And greetings from Scotland. You are virtual today. We're waving at you through the ether. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I could offer you a coffee as well, but it's going to be cold by the time it arrives. So, Um, Now, Heidi, I know that you have met... Chris, but I don't know if you've met Marissa, have you? So I've he- never met Marissa. Here are the official so, introductions, no. Heidi, Marissa, Marissa, Heidi. Except I've been in Edinburgh in my in my head uh, in the last few days, so I've been reading Ambrose Perry <laughs> and really, really enjoyed it. So I feel I can, you know, I've heard Marissa's voice. Yes. Um, yes. Exactly. Um, well, we're going to talk about your both of your brilliant new books. We're going to talk about your writing and we're going to get some book recommendations from you both as well. Um Heidi, let's talk about The Girl in the Photo first, though, if I may. Um, and as I said, this is the second Jensen thriller, right? Yeah. Um, there'll be some people listening who've read your previous book, might even have got to this one so far. But could you just introduce us to this character for anyone who hasn't yet? Yeah, so Jensen is a reporter, a bit like me, but she returns to Denmark, which I never did. And she kind of can't really kind of find her feet 
back in Copenhagen, she doesn't really recognise the city. It feels a bit familiar, but things have changed since she's been away. So that's clearly a device that allows me to travel through my my city of the city of my birth and um, and tell you about it as if uh, it's a little bit it's it's new, mm. uh, even though she is Danish and she was born in Copenhagen. So um, because I think primarily this was my kind of lockdown love letter to Copenhagen, where I was born and and spent my childhood years. Um, and Jensen is a reporter, as I said, who t- returns home and literally stumbles across a body in her f- first book. Um, she then calls the only person she can think of, um, her former lover in the police, uh, Henrik Jungersen, who is a DI, and uh, because he kind of owes her and she thinks she can get the inside track if she connects with him. She's also got a teenage apprentice um, at the newspaper, which is called Daubled, um, which is in City Hall Square, in the same location as a well-known Danish uh, newspaper. <laughs> and Gustav uh, is even more kind of anarchist than, than Jensen. So if Henrik is procedure, police, uh, rules, regulations, uh, Jensen does what she wants and Gustav is just complete anarchy. He's a teenage boy and he can kind of, you know, make himself invisible because teenage boys kind of are. People are either scared of them or kind of completely disregard them. I've had a few teenage boys (laughs) in my house. So it was loosely inspired by my son who spent lockdown with me. So, and he read chapter after chapter as I, as I wrote um, the first book. So in the girl in the photo, um, Jensen has been through one case. She's come together with Henrik and they've parted again. He is in a dreadful state. He's been thrown out of home. And so he's got one thought in his head is to avoid, avoid Jensen because the two of them just can't keep their mm. hands off each other. And um, But that doesn't work because she becomes involved in a case that he is investigating and soon they're back together. And they kind of discover the thing that's the device behind these books, which is that you can't do it on your own. Um, you have to combine, uh, you have to be diverse in your thinking. You have to, do, you know, combine your methods in order to reach the conclusion. So really, they can't solve these murders without each other, each other which yeah. is sort of the, the tension in the book. Yeah. Yeah. And what's your relationship like to Copenhagen? Like what's, what? How Do you love it still, even yes. though you don't live there? Yeah. Yeah, so I... I, I emigrated quite happily to the UK when, when I was in my early 20s um, and I love this country and I'm a citizen here now. Mm. I'm very proud of that. Welcome. I love the... <laughs> thank you very much. I passed the test. Um, and, I wouldn't. <laughs> no, I think you wouldn't. Uh, actually, there's a book that you have to read, otherwise you have no chance. No. Um, it's it's things like what, what do you have to put on a dog tag in the UK and, and things like that um, <laughs> uh, that you have to know for this test. Um, so but I love Copenhagen. Copenhagen to me is kind of half remembered, half imagined. You know, it's where I... I don't know if it's true, but your imagination seems to sort of somehow lock in some early years where it's particularly vibrant, you know, and you absorb uh, stories more perhaps for a few years in your Mm. kind of early youth. And I think that was the time I spent in Copenhagen and I was reading, you know, The Brothers Grimm. (laughs) I love fairy tales, anything dark, anything grim. And I think the two just meshed. And now for me, Copenhagen is a place of shadows, darkness, wood panelled rooms. 
rooms, kind of dingy mm. canals. Um, and so I can't quite match the atmosphere of Edinburgh. <laughs> I wish I could because I, you know, I love Edinburgh. I love walking around and also yeah. in books. Um, but for me, it's it's that kind of, uh, you know, dark place, even mm. though for other people, I think it's a place of hookah and fun so. and yeah. light and happy people. For, for me, it's um, I, the only time I ever went to Copenhagen was on a New Year's Eve. And for me, all I'll remember is people setting off fireworks in the square, yes. just sort of there and like, right it. next to you. Oh, yeah, that's right. I ran for my life. Yeah, that's what we do on New Year's <laughs> Eve. Dangerous place. It was a yeah. dangerous place, but it was fun. Yeah. Have you ever been to Copenhagen, Marissa? No, no, but I, I did read My Name is Jensen and it really made hmm. me want to go, which is a bit strange <laughs> because there's a lot of really unpleasant things going on in the book. Yeah. But the, I really did want to visit. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, I'm paid by oh. the uh, Copenhagen the Tourist Board. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I actually, I, you know, I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say that because I, I really want to send people there. I want people mm. to see, you know, my city is really beautiful. It's very it small, yeah. you know, one point something million people. Uh, you can walk from one end to the other. Um, gorgeous so, harbour, as I remember. Gorgeous harbour. Yeah, um, yeah, so I include a map with the books so that you can, uh, you know, trace your route and follow around and, uh, you know, might even sell a tour in, in future. <laughs> yes, I'm laying down exactly. <laughs> an investment. <laughs> um, Marissa, let's talk about um, Voices of the Dead because this is your, your latest one. Um, and I know, this is, the, is this the fourth Ambrose Parry book? Yes, it is. Goodness yeah. me. Where's that? Where's you that had to t- think there for a minute. I know. Well, I did as well. I mean, where's the time gone? Blimey. Um, could you perhaps introduce us first to, to Dr. Will Raven, just for those who may not have come to any of your books yet? Yeah. Um, well, Will Raven starts off in the first book in the series as the apprentice to the very renowned James Young Simpson, the discoverer of chloroform. And um, he becomes involved in various... Um, he ends up getting embroiled in various crimes, um, not willingly most of the time. Um, and he, well, he he very much wants to emulate his mentor and he doesn't usually quite come up to scratch a lot of the time. Mm. And his, um, his kind of friend, on and off friendship, really is Sarah Fisher, who was in the first book, Simpson's Housemaid but she has aspirations to better herself. And um, the two of them are often um, involved together. As Heidi was saying, often you need more than one person to kind of get to the bottom of something. So Sarah is often... And I I like to play with the fact that although Raven has a medical education, Sarah is sometimes the smarter of the two. (laughs) Um, uh, So they, they kind of team up to kind of solve various mysteries. And there's usually a lot of... It's often medically related stuff because that's where my interest lies. And in Voices of the Dead, Raven is called upon to investigate um, as discreetly as possible the fact that some body parts have been found in Surgeon's Hall and they're not dissection specimens. And um, the spectre of Burke and Hare and grave robbing kind of hangs over Edinburgh even after all this time. And they're very keen that there's no scandal. But unfortunately, more body parts are discovered in different parts of the city. And Raven has to, um, it gets a bit more murky. And the prime suspect is an actor who is known as a master of disguise, 
So it all gets very complicated. And of course, Sarah has to get involved to help out. And um, he was supposed to be discreet, but the press get wind of it and it turns into a massive hysterical, there's a serial killer on the loose sort of thing. Um, so it was, it was actually quite fun to write because some of the previous books have dealt with some really, really dark stuff. (laughs) So this is about, there's a lot of stuff about spiritualism and mesmerism and the, the kind of murky borderlands between science and progress and quackery. So it was actually, it was actually a lot of fun to write. Quackery. That's great. Yeah, I don't know if I've used that, heard or used that term before. I love that. Bit of, bit of quackery. Um, do you like writing, you know, in the 19th century? Um, I, I really enjoy it, actually. I think because I, I read a lot about 19th century medicine, that's mm. kind of my main focus of fascination. And what really intrigues me is the, the things that are really familiar, things that you're, you're like, oh, we still behave that way now or we still do things that way now and the things that are so different mm. and um I, it's it's just endlessly fascinating how much progress we've made in some aspects <laughs> of life and how little in others yeah yeah I remember talking to an author on book off in a previous series who'd written in I think 18th century perhaps they were writing um some historical crime and they said it was amazing to go to all the places it was set in London specifically, so they were in London going to all these streets that still existed, most of them, and actually looking up and going, right, well, actually, this is all different down here, shop fronts, etc. But looking up at the roofs, she was like, but that is how it would have been in the novel that I'm writing, and there's that... It's it's so fascinating, isn't it, to be like, oh, there's still, that that hasn't changed, you know? Yeah. That's still there, holding yeah. on, all yeah. of that history. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Heidi, I'm fascinated by Scandi crime um, and the reason I'm fascinated is because there was this bubble of like oh the killing everyone's watching it Salund and then there was the bridge and then there's other TV shows that, and then there's Scandi Noir now the festival that happens in Iceland and then there's just this amazing selection of Scandi crime books now yeah. and writers yeah what do you think it is about that very specific genre that we Brits and readers from all over the world love so much um, yeah, I, I, I get asked this a lot, so I think I think about it a lot. I think that one, uh, there's darkness, um, so specifically sort of Icelandic um, crime. Mm. I, I envy them the uh, lava fields and the kind of winds and the weather and and everything. Denmark is, is quite boring by comparison. Um, so there's the, there's the darkness, the kind of long nights and, and all that, which sort of lends itself a little bit like Edinburgh's sort of because. Mm. I was thinking of the, the street names, Cannon Gate, and, and all that. They're so evocative, yeah. you know, when you walk around. Um, anyway, so I think the other thing is that it, it's a weird thing with crime fiction is that it's what we turn to when we want to relax, sit in front of the fire, you know, with a, and then you want to, you want to read about a serial killer. <laughs> um, and I think that juxtaposition is, is also uh, in Scandinavian crime fiction between... Um, it's it's kind of an exploding myth kind of thing. So you have these these beautiful societies. I think we were for a number of years running the happiest nation yes. in the world. Yes. Um, and then you have this. Uh, Norway well, took it from you for a bit as well, didn't they? Bastards. <laughs> um, but um, and, and and you know we have the everything sorted. Welfare society. People eat at home at six o'clock with their children. They drive cargo 
bikes around the city with their kids and dogs and it's, it's absolutely wonderful and then it's it's so enjoyable to sort of scratch the surface and then find something a little bit nasty yeah. underneath and I think that tension between the so-called kind of happy societies and I think there's a tradition in Nordic Noir for um, using it as a vehicle to talk about um, the ills of mm. uh, you know the world and you see with Henning Mankell he, he tackled many themes he was very interested in immigration and the tensions that that gave in in you know Swedish society so and even um, I was thinking the Valu uh, um, and um, Schöval, uh, you know in the 60s writing the Martin Beck series they also took up and I think they started a you know tradition there for looking at a, a topic so in my first book it's about kind of homelessness and and displacement and next book is about um bullying and the effects of bullying and so on and i think there is a tradition for that um that people may be you know maybe like and then i think it's just a bit of sort of it's a sort of it's it's a kind of literary version of porn isn't it yeah. you sort of want to <laughs> yeah. um imagine yourself in a different uh, place Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's interesting you say that about the crime genre as well, because uh, I'll always remember one of my first big long chats with uh, the wonderful Mark Billingham. He said, you know, we we as crime writers, he was sort of talking on behalf of everyone. He said, you know, it's it's our job to put a bit of, yeah, not for everyone, but he, he certainly wants to put contemporary issues into yes. his book. So he wants to have his say through his fiction. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that's really important. Yeah. I think that is absolutely right that the, the crime genre that huge umbrella that we call crime is is a really good place to do it yeah, yeah. yeah. um i've got to ask Marissa, and i know that you'll have been asked this a lot <laughs> when you've done interviews but i'm so fascinated because writing is as we all know quite a solitary affair uh, mm. uh it's very much you are the boss when you're the author and you get your your first draft down and you don't start having to answer questions or anything until your agent or editor has got it, right? But when you're working with not only another person, another writer, but your husband, <laughs> I just think that must be such a amazing partnership because not everyone could do that. So how does it work with you guys? I, I think the reason that it works is that um, from the very beginning, we were bringing very different... Um, areas of expertise, the process. So we both acknowledged that we couldn't really do the Ambrose Parry thing, either of us alone. And mm. um, obviously, Chris is a writer of more than twenty-five years' experience. Um, but yeah, he's he all right, doesn't yeah. know. He's, all right. yeah. he's done. A, he's written a few good ones. <laughs> he's written a few books. Um, so he's very experienced and. Um, but he would admit that he doesn't know very much about, you know, 19th century medicine eh, or crime or what the forensics were of the time and all that kind of thing. So we realised that we both brought different things to the process. So we kind of, it was, it's been a learning experience, put it that way, because Chris, <laughs> Chris is used to writing himself, so yeah, he's course. used to of working things out in his own head. And it took a long time for me to kind of get him to... Um, help you know plan things very explicitly so that I kind of understood where we were going and um, so now we're, we are we're far more um, organized that way now <laughs> now that we've done book four we're more organized but he, he I would never I would never argue with him about aspects of plot or structure um, and he doesn't argue with me about um, the historical detail. Mm. Although I have to kind of loosen up a little bit. I'm very kind of, 
I want to make it very authentic, mm -hmm. but as Chris keeps reminding me, it is fiction. So you are allowed to kind of make bits up in between times. And um, so I've had to loosen up a bit and he's had to get a bit more organised. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and it's worked beautifully. <laughs> Do you argue? Uh, I wouldn't say we argue. I think um, it's usually things like he takes a flyer on something and then I read it afterwards and... There was, there was something in the last book where the police surgeon, Chris decided, had a wooden leg, or he decided he had an, uh, an artificial leg. But the, the version that Chris wrote, it was all some kind of metal alloy articulated steampunk thing. And I went, I went into his office and I said, uh, did you research this, you know, artificial limbs in the 19th century? And he just looked at me and went, no. <laughs> of course I didn't. <laughs> so I had to kind of adjust it a wee bit. But, um, yeah, it's just Real. that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, I think it's great. Would you would you ever write with someone? Would you ever have that collaborative <laughs> Especially not my, um, my now ex-husband. <laughs> I can't imagine that. Um, no, I don't. No, but I'm very, um, I'm, extrovert so I have to you know I, I rely on other people mm. I play things off and um, I have a kind of collaborator a Danish police detective who helps me and we, we spend a lot of time together I sit with his team and they talk about their cases and mm. what it feels like to be in the police and I run things past them and, I, and they're very good at saying this is not real but you can put it in a book it's it's okay you can get away with it um, or saying no that would never Absolutely happen. Absolutely never happen. Never happen <laughs> in, in a million, million years. years. <laughs> so I use that. And um, uh, and I, you know, I talk a lot to friends in Copenhagen about what life is like there because obviously I haven't lived there for, for no. so many years. And I, I do, whilst I'm not trying to sort of make something social realistic, I, you know, I wanted to feel real to yeah, of Copenhageners yeah. who, who read the book. Yeah, of so, course. Yeah. I suppose, and correct me if I'm wrong, Marissa, but I, I imagine that you were and still are one of Chris's first readers, right? So when he was first started mm. out on his writing career, you were reading his drafts, right? So has that yeah. that sort of set you up for this partnership anyway, in the sense that you you've already been used to reading sort of his work and and going back and forth and offering advice and stuff? I think it certainly helped. Chris said that um the reason he was quite happy to work with me was he felt I had good editorial judgment because I often read his stuff. Um, and there were <laughs> there were times over the years where if you got stuck on a plot point, this is going back to the lack of planning. Where, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> if you got yeah. if you got stuck, um, we often would sit down and kind of thrash it out between us. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that was in the early years. He didn't need me very much thereafter. But um, yeah, I think I think he probably I think he probably trusted my judgment in a lot of ways because. I have always read his stuff and I'm yeah. very familiar with his style. Exactly, of course, yeah. Mm. Well, Ambrose Parry really works. You've pulled it off. I can't believe it's book four. I really can't. I was like, God, I'm sure... I, I remember when this new author, he says yes. in quotes, was announced and Mr. I was Parry. like, oh, it's... Yeah, I was like, oh, Mr Parry, I wonder who... Is this Mr Parry coming to Harrogate? You know, and, and I discovered, you know, it was revealed the pseudonym is used... That felt honestly like it was two years ago. I can't believe that you're into book four. But anyway, 
Anyway, um, I always like to ask my guests what they've been reading and enjoying recently, because we love a book recommendation here on the podcast. Have you found time to read? Heidi, have you got anything that you want to shout about? There's always a really tricky question, because I I don't at the moment read enough, because I have a full-time job, and I write in my spare time. Yeah, and I write sort of try and write a book a year in my spare time. So I use my holidays and weekends. Right. Um, so and I have you know I've just finished Jensen three. Um, so I and I I just can't read at, at the end of that. But so now I'm in that kind of wonderful phase of you know reading. But <laughs> I, I just I, I mean reading Ambrose Parry and um, also because it stuck with me for all the years is um, Louise Welsh's um, The Cutting Room, mm-hmm. um, which has you know just some of that feel again of Ambrose Perry where you kind of tumble down into this dark <laughs> underworld and it's a kind of roller coaster ride and it never leaves that that world it's a very unique um universe mm. very dark and, and very funny as well um and um Louise um I met Louise Welsh when I was writing my uh, my name is Miss Jensen and she gave me some really good advice then and um was very kind to me when I kind of you know when it when it was published so um uh, but I think she is you know the queen of that kind of atmospheric city based um yeah. kind of cuz it, and it kind of defied the genre because it's it's literary fiction mm-hmm. but it reads like a crime novel and you just cannot put it down and of course there's now a second one yeah, the second cut. The second cut. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, fantastic. Love Louise Well. Yes, great. What about you, Marissa? Have you found time to to read anything and anything you want to shout about at the moment? Uh, um, I've read and enjoyed the Last Dance by Mark Billingham. His oh, new yes, series. It's fantastic, and it's um, set in Blackpool, <laughs> and it's just it's. It's so much fun. It's just absolutely it's fantastic. It's much funnier than his other stuff. Oh, it's much lighter, you know, in tone, isn't it? Yeah, the other, yeah, other mm. yeah. But it's it's the, the the synopsis is the, you know, the two people in adjoining rooms in a Blackpool hotel being shot in the head and, and were the, you know, victims of a hitman. You just think it's so bonkers <laughs> and it works so well. It's so fantastic. I've also um, been reading Alan Parks. Uh, to Die in June. Mm-hmm. His um, Harry McCoy series are just fantastic. It's 1970s Glasgow. And I was a child in 1970s Glasgow <laughs> and it just it just seems so kind of authentic. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, and also in, in kind of historical fiction, I read earlier this year a, a book called Rose Nicholson by Andrew Gregg. Okay. And it's set in... The 1570s in Scotland, which was not a great place to be. Um, <laughs> and it's it's about um, a young man who goes to St Andrews to study and uh, meets up with Rose Nicholson, who is uh, basically a fisherwoman. Her brother's a philosopher and she has opinions of her own, which at the t- that time means that you're suspect and um, she's almost burned as a witch mm. so it's like it's but what I really love about it is it's so beautifully written it's so atmospheric it kind of captures the um, paranoia of the time it, it's just absolutely brilliant fantastic oh, wow. fantastic what a list yes great I've written them down um, <laughs> thank you for all those recommendations 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, and it's time for another, because it's time for the book off, where each of you gets three minutes uninterrupted, if you wish to use your three minutes, to tell us about a book you love, that you think everyone listening and me should read. And this could be anything. It can be fiction, it can be non-fiction, it can be new, it can be old, it can be a children's book, it can be poetry. We've had some real surprises on Book <laughs> Off over the last few years. Um, and before we find out what books you're putting forward, we've got to do a little bit of Book Off admin. <laughs> we always say whoever's travelled the furthest gets to decide if they go first or second. Now, technically, through the wires... <laughs> Marissa has travelled the, the furthest. <laughs> yeah, so, Marissa, would you like to go first or would you like to go second? Uh, I think I'll go second, please. Okay, see, she's putting Ooh. you up first. Wants <laughs> to see what you're made of. Which means, Heidi, you get to choose whether you're going to be rung out with the bell or honked out with the horn at your three minutes. Which one would you prefer? Definitely honked out by the horn. You've got to be honked. Yeah. Okay, okay yeah, fantastic. Definitely. That means you're going to get the bell, Marissa. So, I'm putting three minutes on the clock and you're going first, Heidi. And before we set it... Tell us the book you're putting forward, please. I am putting forward The Elements of Style by Strunk and White, um, William Strunk and E.B. White. All right. Well, it's three minutes on the clock. Over to you to tell us about The Elements of Style. OK, so I picked this book because I love it and I recommend it to absolutely everyone who is writing, particularly people like me who is writing in English as a second language. Um, English is huge. It's rich in words, but it's also incredibly complex. It's inconsistent. It's confusing. It's full of traps. Um, and, and, and this book, uh, this really, really tiny book, offers the hope that it can be somehow known, that the rules can be known and that it can be controlled. It's an illusion, of course. Um, and I think I've spent the rest of my life trying to uh, learn English. But I love this book. Um, it's uh, based on work that's more than 100 years old. It was a professor at Cornell who basically created his own textbook for his students in English, uh, a professor. Um, and um, that was he was William Strunk Jr., by the way. It was 1919. And he met a student um, who... Uh, was called White, and White later, many, many years later, produced um, this book that he edited and then he added to it. And it's been published quite a few times. Um, I'd just like to read just um, a simple thing, which I think explains everything. So he calls it the little book, by the way. Strunk always referred to it as a little book. 
And he says, a sentence should contain no unnecessary words, a paragraph, no unnecessary sentences, uh, for the same reason that a drawing should have no unnecessary lines and a machine, no unnecessary parts. And then I paraphrase slightly, this requires that every word tell, which I think is a great advice. It's e it sounds easier than, than it actually is because it's hard to write briefly, as we know. And basically his mantra is omit needless words. Um, so I try and practice this and also hoping that one day I can attain the level of confidence because what I love about um, William Strunk is he's incredibly opinionated. So he th he says things are fact when in fact they're just a matter of his opinion. So those words he doesn't like. He doesn't like the word not. He says it's much more powerful to frame even negative sentiments positively, uh, which is something I think about every time I use the word not. Um, and also he's he's incredibly self-confident. Um, so, uh, you know, he I can see him strutting around in front of his desk, uh, you know, in front of the students, um, just saying, this is how it is. And this is and I love that. I love that kind of certainty, because for me, it sort of belies the, you know, the, the, the tricky nature of English, which for some reason I chose to write in rather than my native Danish. So um, I really recommend it to to everyone, and I think you're about to hug me out. <laughs> Very good. Oh, well done. You were you were bringing it to such a lovely close already, anyway. <laughs> I think you were bang on there. Um, gosh, that's a inc incredible sounding, but I don't know where to start with that. Um, have a rest, have a breather. We're going to come back and talk about the elements of star because that is like no book I've ever heard of. Um, very much looking forward to, to talking to you more about it. Um, but it's over to Marissa now because we're putting three minutes back on the clock for you. And before we start it, Marissa, tell us the book you're putting forward, please. I'm putting forward Mayflies by Andrew O'Hagan. All right, I'm putting three minutes on the clock. Then, Marissa, it's over to you to tell us about Mayflies. Uh, I read Mayflies um, at the end of last year and... Um, I was a bit of a reluctant reader because I had seen it described as um, a kind of exploration of male friendship and I thought I didn't, I wasn't sure that was going to be for me. But um, I think that's underselling it enormously. It's an absolutely phenomenal book. Um, split into two parts, it deals with um, a group of uh, working class friends from Ayrshire in uh, 1986 who have not long left school, aren't sure what they're going to do with themselves, but they have that kind of late teenage obsession with music and they all go for this wild weekend in Manchester. Um, and it's it's just, it's the, this is the first half of the book and it's just full of wonderful observations about working class life and, um, and boys of that time growing up in Thatcher's Britain, maybe having limited expectations of their life. It's about the joy of youth. It's about fascination with music and lists. And it's all very relatable and also written, so beautifully written, so well observed and um, funny, amusing, warm, just fantastic. And then the second half of the book is um, decades later when they've all grown up they're all in their 40s and um the main character who is now a writer is um contacted by his teenage friend who has been given some bad news he has a life-threatening illness and they go through this journey together at the end of their life um or at the end of tully's life 
and it deals with um, regrets and it's it's uh, how they deal with the death of this really signi significant person in their life and it explores the options at the end of life about whether we should have a choice about how we end things. It's an absolutely wonderful book. It's emotional, it's sad, it's funny, it's about big things in life, it's about youth, it's about death, it's just phenomenal. And wow I think everyone should read it. Wow. And you didn't need the three full three minutes, just done it in two and a half there, Marissa. That's fantastic. Um, wow, what a pitch as well. Goodness me. Do you know that book? Um, I know Andrew Hagen because yes. he taught me on one of my very first writing courses oh, no in, way. The, in the UK together with Jeff Dyer, which was like a match made in oh heaven. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, wow. And, and I agree. He's, he's an incredibly... Um, he's, he's warm, funny yeah. uh, writer. And it his sort of... Um, his voice is in incredibly distinct. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that's a really great recommendation. Yeah. Um, and one I haven't yet managed to read, read, but it's on, it's on my, my list. So, Well, we'll come back and talk about it in a minute, Marissa. Um, Heidi, to come back to the elements of style. Um, right, so I didn't know anything about this book before you said you were doing it. I was like very much open to just being surprised. And you said in your pitch... And one of the things you said was, it's rich and complex and inconsistent and confusing. And I was like, this is amazing that you're talking about this. Um, you'd recommend it to anyone who's writing in, in a different language. And actually, that made me think, why did you decide to write in English? I, Do you know? I, I don't know. And in many ways, my, my life might have been simpler <laughs> if I... Because it's amazing I, that you do, by the but, way. But I think it's, it's, I think it's because, um, you know, writing ultimately is talking to somebody. It's telling somebody a story. And, and my somebodies are here, you know, my loved ones, my, my partner, my children. Yeah. And so I, I think I just had this desire to take them to Copenhagen, that the book was then translated into Danish by someone else and has come out there and has, has been quite popular there. It was was a real surprise to me because I thought they knew everything there was to know, but it seems to have sort of struck a little bit of a, of a chord even with yeah. them. So, yeah, it's uh, great. But I think it's just one of those things that um, it, it's like trying to remember your pin number. It's best if it's just in your fingers. And for me, the choice, is just something that you know I've never written anything good um, in terms of fiction in Danish, in Danish um, yeah. and also I was talking about the language when I said it was confusing and inconsistent it's yes, not you the, were. Sorry. the book Sorry. is everything but confusing <laughs> Sorry. you were talking about the language That's it is right. so That's right. clear because um, it's so concise as well it's isn't it it's incredibly concise it's, it's under 100 pages um, and it was even smaller when it was a textbook because that was the whole point um, you know that he wanted to make it simple but also I think he was as I think uh, White says in the foreword, he was thinking of the reader because he felt that readers are living in this kind of murky world. They're trying desperately to understand what we writers are trying to tell them. Why do they have to have such a hard time? That mm. was his mm. sort of thing. Let's help the reader. Yeah. Let's let's cut to the chase. Um, <laughs> and he hated any kind of embroidery, any kind of you know adjectives, unnecessary. Just get rid of them. Just tell us what happened. <laughs> And I, I do love that. I think it's slightly unattainable. And as I say, I think it's an illusion. But I love that kind of, you know, certainty. That, oh, I love you know, it. I'm right about that. I love the self-confidence self yes. and assurance of it, as yeah. you said. And that, that, that Strunk is so opinionated and sort of says things that he just believes are true even yes. if it's just his own opinion That's I sort right. of love that about I think he doesn't like the word forceful he <laughs> believes it should be forcibly for, forcible 
or something like that. No, now I can't even remember, but it's little things like that. And you think, okay, I'm going to park that over here, but I'm going to take the the bit about framing negative things positively because yeah. I think that is true, actually. Yeah. Um, and it looks better on the page. He doesn't like the word not. He does not yeah. like the word yeah. not. He yeah. thinks um, it, it rarely comes into its own. <laughs> I've got a little saying that, that I picked up many years ago, which is um, don't say why, say why not. Yeah, <laughs> love that. I try and live a bit. Incidentally, by that. he would have loved that too. He would, he, yeah, yes, because okay. he loved a little kind of pithy phrase. Yeah. <laughs> that sort, it's that sort of phrase that would appear yeah. in, the, in that book, the yeah, little book. Exactly. Um, fascinating. Had never heard of it, and I love that it's obviously helped you as a writer as well, and been been so Definitely. important. So thank you for putting that on our radar. Um, and Marissa, I mean, gosh, what an amazing novel uh, Mayflies is, and mm. I loved. I love that you started out saying that you were a reluctant reader of it because I get that. I think sometimes we can read blurbs, can't we? Or we can just sort of get, or even some people just look at a cover and they think that's not for me. And and a book can be undersold in a blurb or it can be not really about what it actually is about or the depth of it. And so I'm really glad that you sort of pushed on with it and you said it's a phenomenal book and I would agree. Obviously, as a huge music fan and as one of those people who has been obsessed with music since they were like nine, um, and having talked to your husband extensively about <laughs> music, Marissa, yes, I'm, yes. you know, I can, I relate to the characters. Um, and it's so good, it's so clever that it's split in these two halves because, mm. the, you know, sometimes writers can do that, can't they? And you think, oh, that's quite forced, that's sort of like a nice, they've just sliced down the middle and told told one and then told the other, whereas that's not the case for this book. No, no, it's, um, oh gosh, I'm reluctant to use the word organic, but that's kind of how it feels. You can use feels. it. <laughs> it's kind of how it feels. It's um, because I think when you, again, if you're a kind of middle-aged person looking back at your youth, you know, it's, it's, it's they're kind of really pivotal times, aren't they? Youth and midlife um, and, um, and the, how you behave in, in midlife, how is it? related to how you were in youth mm. I don't know it's it's just it deals with so many kind of big concepts um but it's a very um easy read you know it's not it's not difficult it's not as as Heidi was saying it he, he's not making it hard for the reader it's mm. really easy to read it's beautifully written it's so compelling um and there's lots of comedy and tragedy and I love the thing about music when you're in your teens because I'm not probably not quite as as keen on it, uh, on music as Chris is um but the the music of the 1980s when I was a teenager is the music that still speaks to me now there's it's there's songs that I never tired of listening to and I think that's probably the same for for most people mm, so much so is, is Chris in the fun loving crime writers Band or yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, a frustrated musician. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if anybody has the opportunity to see those guys live at Bloody Scotland or something like that. It's really, really entertaining. Oh, it super is. entertaining. Yes, and just to to finish on that pitch, it's so interesting. You brought this book up, and there's that whole sort of exploring: should we have choice at the end of our lives? And talking about. Mm the end and knowing and knowing it's coming as as Tully does you know sooner than it should because um I just think that's ah, it, it's something that can be explored in fiction but it's also something that I think is so important that 
that people are talking about in real life as well. Mm. I think it's yeah. something, especially in this country, I don't think we do it well. Mm. Um, I remember hearing Cariad Lloyd, um, who p- put a book out earlier this year, You Are Not Alone, and she's the host of Griefcast. And this book, You Are Not Alone, has sort of got lots of, well, lots of, I guess, advice that she's picked up. So it's not hers, but it's it's through conversations she had uh, uh, with people about grief. And what came out of that was, or one of the main messages was talk about it. Mm. <laughs> you know, talk mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. this thing we don't want to talk about. Um, and that's what this book sort of does, albeit fiction. Mm. But it's really, it's really well observed, as you said, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. I, I think um, a lot of grief counsellors would say that we are very reluctant to talk about death. Um, I think I'm probably more comfortable talking about it because I have a medical background. Mm. But I certainly know that Chris isn't keen on talking about mm. end-of-life planning. And, and, and a lot of people think it's morbid to talk about it. I don't. But I think it's probably... I don't think so either, and I think it's probably healthy. Um, Honestly, and coming back to the music thing, you're going to laugh. I know you're going to laugh at me, but I've written down my funeral songs, right, (laughs) on my phone. I've written them down because the thought of getting knocked over by a bus tomorrow and someone picking the wrong tunes or just picking something, I'm like, no, can't abide that. Thank you. What's the key moment, the the coffin slides? I haven't actually ordered them. Um, Oh, that's good. That is a good question. I'll have to think about the order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More organisations required there. Yeah, I think. thank yeah. you, Heidi. Yeah. yeah, no, I've just sort of splurged them down. <laughs> yeah. But actually, you're right. I need to actually think carefully yeah. about the plotting of them. Um, anyway, <laughs> there we go. Enough, <laughs> enough about my funeral songs. Uh, <laughs> but they're on my phone. If anyone needs them, um, <laughs> I absolutely loved both of these pictures. Two incredibly different books as well, um, mm. and I loved your passion for both of them. Um. But uh, do you know what I think? I think I'm going to take the Andrea Hagen. I think I'm going to take Mayflies because because he, he taught you. Uh, he so, did. So and, that and makes... probably even I would because I, it's still. I mean, this this is a different <laughs> class of book. I would I would say I, I still go for the fiction experience still go every for it. time. Also, you haven't read this one, Heidi. So this exactly. I'm sort of choosing it in a in a I, way that you can yes for yeah. both of us exactly. I I, yeah. I approve. Yeah. <laughs> well done, Marissa. You took the crown. Yeah. I can't actually remember if uh, if Chris took the book off crown or not when he was on. I think he was against Mick Heron. I'm not sure who won. I'd have to listen back. Yeah. Oh, I, I can't remember either, although I do remember the book that he, he recommended. Do you? Yeah. That's cool. So Mick wow. Heron is Amazing. another one I would, uh, you know, inc- you know, recommend. So uh, Slow oh, sure. Horses. Yeah. Um, just, yeah. just so wonderful. The characters, the humour. Um, yeah, I just recommend to anyone <laughs> just get stuck into Mick Heron's books. He's so great. Books. He's so great. I love yeah. those books. And I do remember, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, although I haven't got as good a memory as you, Marissa, for remembering the book he chose, but... Um, they, they, we were having a lovely chat, lovely chat, and then it, 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 I said, right now it's time for the book off, and both of them went into competitive <laughs> mode. Both of them stepped up. They were like, right, okay, here we go. Roll the sleeves up. You know, they really they were like, choose my book. <laughs> Thank you both for those fabulous recommendations and, and pictures. Um, and here's two more for you: the girl in the photo by Heidi Amsick. It's out now. It's published by Muswell Press. And Voices of the Dead by Ambrose Parry is also out now, published by Canon Gate. Um, thank you both for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to spend this time with you. Thank, thank you very you. much. It's been great.